0: All right, now we're live. Uh, welcome everybody to Straight Out of Oak Park. I'm your host, Jacob Plant. And with me, I have special guest Weem. And forgive me if I pronounce your last name incorrect. How do you say your last name? Namu. Oh, you said it perfectly. Weem Namu, uh, local uh, writer, and uh, you do you actually you're you're a jack of all trades. Uh, what is it? Can you introduce yourself? In the field, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yeah, so I'm an author and. Um, and a filmmaker but i originally i started out just really just wanting to write uh, books and that evolved into writing stories and i guess using different mediums to share them including um you know and different genres i guess too like um like poetry and i ended up into journalism and all these different avenues which really kind of come down to um storytelling
0: cool So were your your poetry, was that kind of like more of a narrative poetry or more abstract?
1: Well, what happened is, um, you know, as I mentioned, my love was starting off, I wanted to write books and then I would ramble on and on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) So my poor instructors and editors and teachers and everybody that was working with me, they were so patient and they said, you know, we really love the topics that you're writing about and you have so much potential, but you really need to tighten the story. And I had a hard time with that because there was so many ideas in my head. I was very young and just very excited to just put everything down. And, you know, um, and so one of the exercises that I found very useful as I took classes, and as I tried to hone my writing is, um, you know, and this goes, I think, for every creative person is that you have to see what are your strengths and weaknesses and work with both. And um, seeing that I did have this tendency of not being very focused in my writing, um, especially if you're going to write a book, you need to treat every chapter, uh, you know, you have to be very clear and concise and move it forward um, in an organized fashion. <laughs> it's not just about the creativity. So I ended up taking uh, years of sh- short story writing. Okay.
0: Was that at Wayne State? And-
1: No, actually, it was um, Longridge Writers Group, which it was after I graduated from Wayne State in communication. um, It was a two-year. I was going to say online. There wasn't even an online course at that time. (laughs) It was through correspondence, through mail, Um, and that was a great challenge for me because I had to figure out how to tell a story, in the like most minimal words possible. And although it was challenging, what I found is that it was also um, it was also fun because like you're playing with words in a different way and trying to say what you need without going on and on and on. Yeah. And um, after that, I that interest led me to further kind of see the value of minimizing a word, and then I ended up taking um, going to Prague. Through the University of New Orleans, where it was offering a summer program. Cool. And um you, t- you could, yeah, you could take different types of writing. Uh, again, for me, I wasn't, I hadn't really tried poetry before, so I wanted to try it. And in Prague, imagine you know that combination. Yeah, <laughs> I, so probably but... <laughs> it's a perfect setting. Yeah. Um, well, I went there and I was introduced to writing. I mean, I had read poetry obviously before that, but introduced to myself writing the poem. And I thought, you know, I am telling a little tiny story in this poem, whether it's five lines or 10 lines or one page. Um, And so really, writers compose words, and they're trying, in my case, again, like I said, because I'm a storyteller, I found myself that I'm always telling a story, whether it's a Profile piece, a journalism piece, uh, a film, a documentary. Right now, working on a feature film. It's in post production. Awesome. It's always about the story.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's, um, so. Like whenever I take a course, and the the professor you know tells stories, I remember the material better because it's told in the fashion of a story. Um, so, what were some of the topics you were choosing? You said you know that your teacher said you know you got these great topics. You just need to tighten it up. Uh, what's some of the, the topics you touch on in your writing?
1: Oh, that's a very nice question because um when i started out i was trying to kind of choose i remember my first teacher um she said you know what are some of the topics that you think you want to write about and i put we were it was um it was a writer's digest to your novel writing course um and it, and it was like okay what do i what should the novel be about so i wrote three different options and she what caught her eye? What became my first book was called *The Feminine Art*, and that caught her eye. And she said, and it was because it had to do with something pertaining to my culture, and it was really based on true life events in my community, in my um, family, and relatives. And um, do you mind if we you share your I...
0: cultural background on the air?
1: Oh yes. You're See, own... and, and this is a, another another good thing because. I was thinking, why is she interested in that? It seems so ordinary for me. And so for me, I, it was the first time I thought, yeah, I saw, I saw that there was an interest in this culture that I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's something there. But anyway, I'm Chaldean, yeah. which um, are ne- Neo-Babylonians. Who which
0: Chaldeans are... have always fascinated me just because uh, the first time I came across the word Chaldean is uh, when I was a young man reading the Bible, Genesis. Abraham came from Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. So I thought that was really great when I moved to Detroit and got introduced to Chaldeans. That while well, you here you have this people that have been through all this history, and uh, now they're in Michigan. So, well, you're one of the rare people
1: that has made that connection because I have <laughs> most people I knew that I when I introduced myself as a Chaldean, we're not aware what Chaldeans are, and uh, we're surprised if you say that you're from Iraq because what happened in 1921 uh when the british occupied iraq they changed the name from mesopotamia to iraq and so then there was a disconnect and so oftentimes what happens is that when you bring up mesopotamia you're not necessarily associating with iraq and so even if you like we said in the bible genesis much of the setting for the genesis for genesis is takes place in mesopotamia and there's so many archaeological Um, sites right now in Iraq that are so important, including like the ziggurat and as you said, the birthplace of uh, Prophet Abraham. But it's very hard when that disconnect happened for people to kind of see that. However, Michiganders have become more familiar with Chaldeans because currently Michigan has the largest population of Chaldeans in the world. Wow. It was second to the Middle East to Iraq. But then after what happened in 2014 with ISIS, and a lot of the Chaldeans had to leave in the Assyrians and other minorities when they had to flee their land, um, and so the population in Iraq diminished, and so we now have the largest population in Michigan. Oh.
0: Does Now, does that come across in some of your writings, some of the rich history of your people, in some of your stories? Yeah,
1: so... Yeah, because when I first picked the topic for my first novel, and based on, um, my teacher was a published author at the time, and she was also an editor, um, and she said, you know, this sounds very interesting. And again, for me, it's just was so natural being what I was, so I didn't see why the the interest. It took years for me to realize that um, this is something unique, a unique culture that people are not familiar with. And they want to learn more about, and I'm taking that for granted, because I would mention something that was part of our custom, and I would take for granted that this is something that others are not familiar with. And so I had to put special care to describe those scenes or those cultures and or, or even uh, the people's views and their thoughts. Um, and then I started having fun with this because I thought like, oh, so this is really unique. This is very interesting. I, I started discovering things about my heritage that i did not know prior okay and that's because you know we are uh, we're a minority in iraq and so we did not grow up learning about ourselves really we did not get to really oh, yeah,
0: that, learn I didn't about ourselves
1: that. Until <laughs> right so when you're there you know as a minority um you're not really learning um the most
0: you're learning like I Iraqi history and like the with the majority studies. Well,
1: in the studies uh, up until a, up until college, you know, you you learn mostly up until 1400 years ago, 1400, 1500 years ago. And it kind of doesn't go beyond that. And so you you don't know your place in history. Um, we did speak. My parents and my family spoke the Aramaic language, the Chaldean dialect of it, which uh, people still do. But again, I I really didn't understand the value of that, that this is Jesus's language. Um, And it was because we were. When we lived in Iraq, we lived in a way that was kind of based on fear (laughs) more than culture. We lived when uh, Saddam was coming into power. And um, although he was. he didn't target Christians because they were a minority and, and fairly weak. Uh, but there was still, a uh, his regime was, there was a fear-based.
0: Have you ever considered writing with, a memoir about your?
1: And, and I did, yes. Know? I did write a four-part memoir that made me realize um, how deep those fears, uh, what they did that even here in the United States as a writer, I was having a lot of challenges to write about certain topics. Let's say there was something, for instance, in 2010, I was approached by a family that their daughter was in prison, uh, accused of selling telecom to communication to Iraq during the sanctions. And um, then it turned out that after she was um, sentenced, two CIA operatives came out and said that you know this was a US operation and that she didn't know what was what was happening so um the family wanted me to write a book about the subject and i thought oh my goodness no like i don't want to deal with (laughs) iraqi politics and all this and they said you know but but it was it wasn't the politics that ended up leading me to do what i did it was that sense which um chaldeans do have the sense of faith and the sense of a calling and the sense of doing you know like if somebody comes and needing help for something do you respond is it your responsibility is it somebody else's you really have to you know is is it like uh are you breaking some kind of you know oath with god if if you were not to respond and you have to be very tactful and realizing is this for you or not is this where you respond to something like that and and participate in this kind of justice. Um, I ended up agreeing to do the story because of the mother-daughter relationship, because the mother was in, in a lot of pain that her daughter was in prison and the daughter was in a lot of pain that she felt. So, um, and then her, her the mother and I became very close. She was an older, much older woman, but she was like a grandmother to my kids. But what I discovered, and I ended up doing a docu- the document, the book won an Erica Hoffer Award, and the documentary, which was also based on the same story, um, again, it's called the Great, American, um, the Great American Family Documentary, if people want to check it where, out. That where can account.
0: people check that out at? Is it like on Amazon Prime, or?
1: Um, well, it's, it's currently we're looking for distribution. It oh. did win two win two international awards: the feature documentary and the book, as I mentioned, the Eric Hoffer. The book is available now, but the documentary is still um, seeking
0: distribution. Is the and book on um, yeah, but like, is that what yes, pay? Yes. Okay.
1: yes, they can Google my name and they will see the Great American Family. Um, but one thing that I learned in the process is that when I was trying to write this story because of its political elements, um, I realized that there were fears in me that were associated from where i was born and where i was raised and the things that we experienced and it took a lot for me to kind of it's like the story changed me it it was it wasn't it didn't just become about the family that i was writing about it became also to me like looking at that and realizing okay i'm not i'm not there anymore i'm not part of that region anymore. And what does that mean to me? Um And so w- when you ask that about, as a Chaldean writing about the Chaldeans, uh, finding out who I am, and why where my fears come from, and that wh- what my history is about, that has been the most really rewarding part in the process, as I'm writing, discovering who I am, and what is the meaning behind my history.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, so you have that type of connection with all your work. Is all your work uh, culturally themed or do you do you kind of step outside of that when you're writing some of your fiction just, you know, for fun or.
1: Oh, my stories are a lot of fun because what I what I do is um, I incorporate a lot of humor and um, women are a big part of my characters and um, the Middle Eastern women it's very unfortunate how they're portrayed because you don't get to see the side of them. That's more real. You don't see the humor. You don't see the family dynamics that are And in my recent book. It's called pomegranate. It's about a Muslim and Christian um, family that live across the street from each other. Oh, and cool. it's led by women characters. And the protagonist is a woman. Well, that uh, story was was originally a script that was selected quarter by Francis Coppola's Ziotrop. And then um, it's currently and then Scott Rosenfeld, the producer of Home Alone and Mystic Pizza um, last year when he learned about it, he became our executive uh, producer. The reason being is because now not only did they enjoy the story, the premise of the story that, you know, here's these people uh, this family from different backgrounds living across from each other during the, it was during the 2016 elections, and so there's all this tension going on, right? I can imagine. And then you have these, yeah, and then you have these two sassy, beautiful women. One is a Christian, one is a Muslim, and they're just kind of like have these uh, conflicting feelings about each other, right? So, um, but what, what what this was an opportunity to do for me is to take all the loving beautiful humorous elements that exist in our culture and bring them to life cuz we muslims christians jewish whoever from that region but particularly the women how the way we feel is that the way we're portrayed is not there's there isn't an authentic realistic side of us which if people get to see would be you know they'd have an opportunity to see something from a loving side of us, and it's not always up to oppressed, and it's not always victimized, and it's not always terrorized. It, we don't all fall just into those categories.
0: Right, you're not a you're, you're an actual person, not a stereotype. <laughs> um,
1: yes, yes, very well said. Yes. Uh,
0: um, so, is is this the the story the Christian and the Muslim family living next to each other? Is that the story that is getting produced into a movie? I think you said the the gentleman yes. from Home Alone.
1: Yes, so currently it's in post production with the intention that you know it will be completed um by by April we're thinking. Uh, but the production uh shooting took place in um September of last year 2021. Um and you know and, and another beautiful thing about this film the families the, the actors in each family play the fam Play the characters they portray so the muslim family including the women including the mom who's a real life hijabi in person and it's from california that's the muslim woman that's fine that's <laughs> and awesome. it, it's it was and it was so much fun because everybody was able to be themselves but then they knew that they were like having fun with it playing this other character but they all felt like at least they could relate that they finally had a story that they can relate to and um yeah
0: interesting yeah because um so I'm, I'm an actor. I do a lot of stage stuff and I work on film. And I remember when doing films, post-production was always the longest uh, part of the project. I don't know if it's like that with your post-production. But um, so I remember this one play, watching this play at the Performance Network in Ann Arbor where there was this uh, African-American actress. And in the play, she said, well, if I don't take these stereotypical parts of me playing like the stereotypical African-American woman, then I'm going to be out of work um so she rarely got a chance to take on parts that were dynamic and you know character driven uh, a lot of them were just like kind of smaller small not not lead roles a lot and just a lot of times um you know ha- having to play a stereotype versus a character sometimes so that's that's really uh refreshing to hear that you know these these minority type actors they don't have to play in your movie they can play you know the the main characters and not have to worry about, you know, playing a stereotype, but actually working the craft and playing a character.
1: You know, thank you so much for sharing that because our actors too have gone through that and feel that they still have to. And I hope I told them, I said, I hope after this film comes out and maybe, you know, you get to be in a different place because they're very, very talented and Mm -hmm. they all feel like, there's only one place for them. It's either that or nothing. And some have even been just told, like, "Well, you know what? We don't have a we don't have a place for a hijabi except for this particular type of role." Um, and then I thought, okay, well, if, if that's the case, how can we? How can our community create that? Because at the end of the day, it that responsibility from what I see falls on us. I don't think anybody else is going to come from somewhere else and say here's a story where you guys are not stereotyped, <laughs> you know, we really want to support that we think is going to sell. So, you know, we really want you. I, I don't think that, um, we would have to take an, and so that's, um, that's something that we need to look within ourselves and see how can we change the narrative and not rely on somebody else to do it.
0: Absolutely. So that's exciting, you, you, and you said April is when the movie might be released.
1: Uh, oh, completed, yes, the post production to be completed.
0: And do you have festivals you're already sending it out to, or?
1: Um, not yet because we we're planning to do that once we get the rough cut, and uh, we're hoping that the rough cut would be, we expect it to be earlier than that, um, to be completed. So more is, exciting things will happen. Once is this that's your first? Done.
0: Is this your first major motion picture?
1: Yes, it's my first narrative. I did the feature, the documentary that I did, uh, which I also I wrote and directed and produced. Uh, the Great American Family. That was a feature documentary. So this is a narrative film, which is different. I mean, the budget is different, the work, this, the whole setup. So it kind of um, you mentioned that you you've heard or from your experience or from your knowledge that uh, post production is the longest, but we found that, um, you know, pre-production was kind of long because yeah. setting everything up and then trying to, as a fe- the first feature film, you know, making sure that this fits into the budget. We had to keep cutting the budget and then trying to find a way around that. And, um, you know, and it was my first feature film. Uh, I-, I was so fortunate that we had veteran like cinematographer our producer who was from la sam sacco uh, kevin hillwitt he's been in the he's been a cin- cinematographer for a very long time and he's local um so some of and, and scott rosenfeld as i mentioned they were pivotal in that when we were encountering problems they really were so solid and said here's what we're gonna do here's how we're gonna handle this nice. um, and that meant the yeah that meant the world and it's and I'm grateful for them because they were not on a monetary basis involved with me so much as really believing that I was trying to do something and the, and understanding the difficulties and the challenges just really had my back. And I'll never forget that.
0: That's awesome. I remember working on in the production office of a feature film called Street Boss that shot up in Saginaw. It was the first film to shoot under Jennifer Granholm's 40% reduction law, uh, first major motion picture to shoot under that law. And then all those big movies started coming to Detroit until Snyder repealed the law when he got into office. But uh, I just remember all the, like, having watched movies my whole life growing up, I did not realize everything that goes into making a movie. Like, it's so much and it's so stressful. And like, I remember working in the production office and like, I can't imagine what movies, making movies was like before cell phones. Just just being able to communicate with everyone on set, with walkies and cell phones and being able to call extras and say, Hey, this is your, this is your, this is your start time. This is your location call time seven. Um, All those things uh, and all those little things add up to big, to like a a lot of work. (laughs) So, uh, so you were there, you were there behind the scenes during filming. You weren't just the author. You were, you were, you were. um... Oh yeah.
1: I was, that was the, I was the director. I was the writer and the director. And um, yes, yes. And you know what there was, and like any project, any work. Um, so the, the, um, cast and crew, we were like a family, like we were helping each other because we, again, because of the budget being cut. And then we had to cut out certain departments and things like that. So everybody was so helpful, but one thing that I noticed, and that's why I had so much patience with everybody. They noticed, they said, you know, we really appreciated that you were, I was nice to, um, to them and, and, and catering. And, and that's part of my personality. It's not like, it's not, but at the same time, I also realize that they don't know what goes on behind the scene and that's not their fault. There's so many details, <clears throat> excuse me, that if they're frustrated or if they're feeling this or that here and there, I'm like, How am I going to explain to them the details of what we just experienced and what the challenges? That's not on them. You know, uh, that's on me. Uh, This is my project and I've taken on this load and I have to still make them feel comfortable. They're they're coming on, they believe in this project. And so there's that too. You can't like go and, and vent to the person that you've you've hired as an actor yeah. who you don't, know. So, you don't want to stress them um, out because they've
0: got enough to worry about with learning their lines they, blocking exactly. the exactly. yeah
1: right and and really it's not it's not on them it's like it's one thing that you could just share stories maybe even after the fact is different mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of that so when there were issues or if there were complaints or if there was any kind of frustrations i always kept that in mind that you know people don't know what happens behind the scenes. And so they don't understand, you know, like sometimes, oftentimes there were people that saw the amount of work I would be doing and they said, Oh, you really needed a couple of more hands there. And I said, believe me, if there was the budget, it's it's like being a
0: CEO of a big company where you have like these morning fires to put out every morning. Um, so how, how did you like, I I would, would, you know, not hire the help needed if it it was available to me,
1: you know, (laughs) things like that.
0: Um, so how how do you like directing do you think you might you might continue maybe do another uh, job directing a film whether it be yours or someone else's
1: well I know one thing that the first week of filming I was like I'm never gonna do this again (laughs) (laughs) the things that were happening I did not know that this takes up your life 24 7 and that the fear involved like you know we, we're shooting during covid and you know any any one little thing that could happen could just throw off the whole schedule can throw off the whole budget you know each day there's you know there's money involved there's um, so much involved right and so the first week was incredibly stressful for me. And I just thought, you know what? I, I've made this, I, I've intended from years ago when I went to Motion Picture Institute of Michigan for a year, that I was gonna make a film and here's, I'm making it and I'm done. Like this is over, right? By the third week, it was like, wow, th- this is so nice. This was something special. And we were, uh, myself and the others who, it just as early as like four or five days ago, the producer saying you better, you know, have a, um, you know, a, a follow up to this uh, film because we had so much fun. The stories was, was great. And um, you have so much material, which they're right. I mean, yeah. um, the, the, given this will be considered the first Iraqi American feature film. Awesome. And yes, because in the United in the United States, I mean, if you Google Iraqi American films, you will find that the films that were done were mostly done so, by um, non-Iraqis,
0: Assyrians. Because so this would be- there's a gentleman who went through MPI's program. I forget his name, Alex. Uh, he has Lamassu Productions. I don't know if he's still active, but it was. In I, a, I've heard of him. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know. But if did he's he do
1: kid- a documentary or a narrative film? Because he like just, a feature narrative.
0: He, I mean when I when I knew of him he was doing shorts just like short yeah. films.
1: So I hope that there's a lot of stories out there but what, from all the research that we've done from before we started until now there is no feature narrative Iraqi American film. Wow. And to top it off it's this one is led by women um talent including the writer, director, and the lead, including you know the main character, her mom, the neighbor, which is a woman, and her mom. And so we have, I think that dynamic brings so much fun to the story because you get to see these women as powerful and beautiful and unique and not in these, you know, like, again, in those stereotype ways. Um, And yeah, we were able to do it here, right? This is where you Oh, yeah. And the material, because we do have such a rich culture and we do have so much that goes on. There's so much room to expand, right? So having done the first one and it was exhaustive, I mean, afterwards, I I had to take a a long break and just kind of to recharge. And before we we were able to start uh, post-production, but looking at it, and then you say, well, I can see it becoming so much easier the second time around because,
0: okay. You can keep going. we, we got like a few seconds left.
1: Oh, okay. Just- yeah, so you, you realize, yeah, that, you know, it, it, it's, it will be easier the second time around. So I am looking forward to doing something in the future. I don't know what, but, um, yeah, I think I'm going to continue that path. At the end of the day, it was worth it. Like you know, having a baby, you don't
0: <laughs> want it. You know, you're like, no more, no That's... more. And then afterwards, you're like,
1: i can stuck one more baby. die. Right. That...
0: <laughs> That's an awesome way of putting it. That's so, thank you, uh, thank you so much. That's our time. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Uh, I'll I'll email you the link to listen to the web the podcast and uh, have a have a wonderful evening. And I, I hope we cross paths soon with the Authors Guild again. And uh, it's it's been lovely speaking with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this.
0: All right.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.